Chapter Nine, Part Ten of the General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One by Charles Johnson. Chapter Nine, Part Ten. By order of the court, John Atkins, Register. William Magnus. Thomas Outerlawney, William Maine, William McIntosh, Val Ashplant, John Walden, Israel Hind, Marcus Johnson, William Petty, William Fernan, Abraham Harper, William Wood, Thomas Howe, John Stephenson, Charles Bunce, and John Griffin. Against these it was disposed by Captain Joseph Traherne and George Fenn, his mate, that they were all of them, either at the attacking and taking of the ship King Solomon, or afterwards at the robbing and plundering of her, and in this manner, that on the 6th of January last, their ship, riding an anchor near Cape Apollonia, in Africa, discovered a boat rowing towards them, against wind and stream, from a ship that lay about three miles to leeward. They judged from the number of men in her, as she nearer advanced, to be a pirate, and made some preparation for receiving her, believing, on a nigher view, they would think fit to withdraw from an attack that must be on their side with great disadvantage in an open boat, and against double the number of men. Yet by the rashness and pusillanimity of his own people, who laid down their arms and immediately called for quarter, the ship was taken, and afterwards robbed by them. President, can you charge your memory with any particulars in the seizure and robbery? Evidence. We know that Magnus, quartermaster of the pirate ship, commanded the men in this boat that took us, and assumed the authority of ordering her provisions and stores out, which being of different kinds we soon found, were seized and sent away under more particular directions. For Maine, as boatswain of the pirate ship, carried away two cables and several coils of rope as what belonged to his province, beating some of our own men for not being brisk enough at working in the robbery. Petty, as sailmaker, saw to the sails and canvas, Harper, as cooper, to the cask and tools, Griffin, to the carpenter's stores, and Outerlawney, as pilot, having shifted himself with a suit of my clothes, a new tie wig, and called for a bottle of wine, ordering the ship, very arrogantly, to be steered under Commodore Robert's stern, I supposed to know what orders there were concerning her, so far particularly, in the general, sir, they were very outrageous and emulous in mischief. President. Mr. Castile, acquaint the court of what you know in relation to this robbery of the King Solomon, after what manner the pirate boat was dispatched for this attempt. Thomas Castell. I was a prisoner, sir, with the pirates when their boat was ordered upon that service, and found, upon a resolution of going, word was passed through the company, who would go, and I saw all that did, did it voluntarily, no compulsion but rather pressing who should be foremost. The prisoners yielded to what had been sworn about the attack and robbery, but denied the latter evidence, saying, Roberts hectored, and upbraided them of cowardice on this very occasion, and told some they were very ready to step on board of a prize when within command of the ship, but now there seemed to be a trial of their valor, backward and fearful. President, so that Roberts forced ye upon this attack? Prisoners, Roberts commanded us into the boat, and the quartermaster to rob the ship, neither of whose commands we dared to have refused. President, and granting it so, 
those are still your own acts, since done by orders from officers of your own election. Why would men, honestly disposed, give their votes for such a captain and such a quartermaster as were every day commanding them on distasteful services? Here succeeded a silence among the prisoners, but at length Fernan very honestly owned that he did not give his vote to Magnus, but to David Simpson, the old quartermaster, for in truth, says he, I took Magnus for too honest a man, and unfit for the business. The evidence was plain and home, and the court, without any hesitation, brought them in guilty. William Church, Philip Hake, James White, Nicholas Brattle, Hugh Riddle, William Thomas, Thomas Roberts, Joseph Richards, Joseph Kane, R. Wood, R. Scott, William Davison, Samuel Morwell, Edward Evans, William Guineas, and eighteen Frenchmen. The first four of these prisoners, it was evident to the court, served as music on board the pirate, were forced lately from the several merchant ships they belonged to, and that they had, during this confinement, an uneasy life of it, having sometimes their fiddles, and often their heads broke, only for excusing themselves, or saying they were tired, when any fellow took it in his head to demand a tune. The other English had been a very few days on board the pirate, only from Wida to Cape Lopez, and no capture or robbery done by them in that time. And the Frenchmen were brought with a design to reconduct their own ship, or the little ranger in exchange, to Wida Road, and were used like prisoners, neither quartered nor suffered to carry arms, so that the court immediately acquiesced in acquitting them. Thomas Sutton, David Simpson, Christopher Moody, Philip Bill, R. Hardy, Henry Dennis, David Rice, William Williams, R. Harris, George Smith, Edward Watts, Joseph Mitchell, and James Burrow. The evidence against these prisoners were Garrett de Haan, master of the Flushingham, taken nigh Axum, the beginning of January last, Benjamin Crest, master, and James Grote, mate of the Gertruich, taken nigh Gabon in December last, and Mr. Castell, Wingfield, and others, that had been prisoners with the pirates. The former disposed that all these prisoners, excepting Hardy, were on board at the robbery and plunder of their ships, behaving in a vile outrageous manner, putting them in bodily fears, sometimes for the ship and sometimes for themselves, and in particular, Crift charged it on Sutton, that he had ordered all their gunners' stores out, on which that prisoner presently interrupted and said he was perjured, that he had not taken half, a reply, I believe, not designed as any saucy way of jesting, but to give their behaviour an appearance of more humanity than the Dutch would allow. From Mr. Castile, Wingfeld, and others, they were proved to be distinguished men, men who were consulted as chiefs in all enterprises, belonged most of them to the House of Lords, as they called it, and could carry an authority over others. The former said, particularly of Hardy, quartermaster of the ranger, that when the diligent sloop was taken, whereto he belonged, none was busier in the plunder, and was the very man who scuttled and sunk the vessel. From some of the prisoners acquitted, it was farther demanded whether the acceptance or refusal of any office was not in their own option, and it was declared that every officer was chose by a majority of votes, and might refuse, if he pleased, since others gladly embraced what brought with it an additional share of prize. Guilty. The court on the 31st of March remanded the following six before them for sentence, viz. David Simpson, William Magnus, R. Hardy, Thomas Sutton, Christopher Moody, and Valen Ashplant, 
to whom the president spoke to the following purpose the crime of piracy of which all of ye have been justly convicted is of all other robberies the most aggravating and inhumane in that being removed from the fears of surprise in remote and distant parts ye do in wantonness of power often add cruelty to theft pirates unmoved at distress or poverty not only spoil and rob but do it from men needy and who are purchasing their livelihoods through hazards and difficulties which ought rather to move compassion and what is still worse do often by persuasion or force engage an inconsiderate part of them to their own and family's ruin removing them from their wives and children and by that from the means that should support them from misery and want to a trading nation nothing can be so destructive as piracy or call for more exemplary punishment besides the national reflection it infers it cuts off the returns of industry and those plentiful importations that alone can make an island flourishing and it is your aggravation that ye have been the chiefs and rulers in these licentious and lawless practices however contrary to the measures ye have dealt ye have been heard with patience and though little has or possibly could have been said in excuse or extenuation of your crimes yet charity makes us hope that a true and sincere repentance which we heartily recommend may entitle ye to mercy and forgiveness after the sentence of the law has taken place which now remains upon me to pronounce you david simpson william magnus r hardy thomas sutton christopher moody and val ashplant ye and each of you are adjudged and sentenced to be carried back to the place from whence ye came from thence to the place of execution without the gates of this castle and there within the flood marks to be hanged by the neck till ye are dead after this ye and each of you shall be taken down and your bodies hanged in chains warrant for execution pursuant to the sentence given on saturday by the court of admiralty at cape corso castle against david simpson william magnus r hardy thomas sutton christopher moody and valentine ashplant you are hereby directed to carry the aforesaid malefactors to the place of execution, without the gates of this castle, to-morrow morning at nine of the clock, and there within the flood-marks cause them to be hanged by the neck till they are dead, for which this shall be your warrant, given under my hand this second day of April, 1722, to Joseph Gordon, Provost Marshal, Mungo Herdman, the bodies remove in chains to the gibbets already erected on the adjacent hillocks. M. H. William Phillips. It appeared by the evidence of Captain Joe Traherne and George Fenn, mate of the King Solomon, that this prisoner was boatswain of the same ship when she was attacked and taken off Cape Apollonia, the sixth of January last, by the pirate's boat. When the boat drew nigh, they say, it was judged from the number of men in her that they were pirates, and being hailed, answered defiance at which the commander snatched a musket from one of his men and fired asking them at the same time whether they would stand by him to defend the ship the pirates returning a volley and crying out they would give no quarters if any resistance was made this prisoner took upon him to call out for quarters without the master's consent and misled the rest to the lying down their arms and giving up the ship to half the number of men and in an open boat it was further evident he became after this a volunteer amongst them first because he was presently very forward and brisk in robbing the ship king solomon of her provisions and stores secondly because he endeavoured to have his captain ill-used 
and lastly because he had confessed to Fenn that he had been obliged to sign their articles that night, a pistol being laid on the table to signify he must do it or be shot, when the whole appeared to be an untruth from other evidence, who also asserted his being armed in the action against the swallow. In answer to this he first observed upon the unhappiness of being friendless in this part of the world, which elsewhere, by witnessing to the honesty of his former life, would, he believed, in a great measure, have invalidated the wrong evidence had been given of his being a volunteer with the pirates. He owns, indeed, he made no application to his captain to intercede for a discharge, but excuses it with saying he had a dislike to him, and therefore was sure that such application would have availed him nothing. The court observed the pretenses of this, and other of the pirates, of a pistol and their articles being served up in a dish together, or of their being misused and forced from an honest service, was often a complotment of the parties, to render them less suspected of those they came from, and was to answer the end of being put in a newspaper or affidavit, and the pirates were so generous as not to refuse a compliment to a brother that cost them nothing, and, at the same time, secured them the best hands, the best, I call them, because such a dependence made them act more boldly, guilty. Harry Glasby, Master. There appearing several persons in court who had been taken by Roberts's ship, whereof the prisoner was master, their evidence was accepted as follows. Joe Traherne, commander of the King Solomon, deposed the prisoner, indeed to act as master of the pirate ship, while he was under restraint there, but was observed like no master, every one obeying at discretion, of which he had taken notice and complained to him, how hard a condition it was to be a chief among brutes, and that he was weary of his life, and such other expressions, now out of his memory, as showed in him a great disinclination to that course of living. Joe Wingfield, a prisoner with them at Calabar, says the same, as to the quality he acted in, but that he was civil beyond any of them, and verily believes that when the brigantine he served on board of, as a factor of the African company, was voted to be burnt, this man was the instrument of preventing it, expressing himself with a great deal of sorrow, for this and the malicious rogueries of the company he was in, that to him showed he had acted with reluctancy, as one who could not avoid what he did. He adds further, that when one Hamilton, a surgeon, was taken by them, and the articles about to be imposed on him, he opposed and prevented it, and that Hunter, another surgeon among them, was cleared at the prisoner's instance and persuasion, from which last this despondent had it assured to him that Glasby had once been under sentence of death on board of them with two more, for endeavouring an escape in the West Indies, and that the other two were really shot for it. Elizabeth Trengrove, who was taken a passenger in the African Company's ship Onslow, strengthened the evidence of the last witness, for having heard a good character of this Glasby, she inquired of the quartermaster, who was then on board a robbing, whether or no she could see him, and he told her no. They never ventured him from the ship, for he had once endeavoured his escape, and they had ever since continued jealous of him. Edward Crisp, Captain Trengrove, and Captain Sharp, who had all been taken in their turns, acknowledged for themselves and others who had unluckily fallen into those pirates' hands that the good usage they had met with was chiefly through the prisoners' means, who often interposed, for leaving sufficient stores and instruments on board the ships they had robbed, allegedly they were superfluous and unnecessary there. 
James White, whose business was music, and was on the poop of the pirate ship in time of action with the Swallow, deposed that during the engagement and defense she made he never saw the prisoner busied about the guns or giving orders, either to the loading or firing of them, but that he wholly attended to the setting or trimming of the sails as Roberts commanded, and that in the conclusion he verily believed him to be the man who prevented the ships being blown up, by setting trusty sentinels below, and opposing himself against such hot-headed fellows as had procured lighted matches and were going down for that purpose. Isaac's son, lieutenant of the man-of-war, deposed, that when he came to take possession of the prize in the king's boat, he found the pirates in a very distracted and divided condition, some being for blowing up, and others, who perhaps supposed themselves less culpable, opposing it, that in this confusion he inquired for the prisoner of whom he had before heard a good character, and thinks he rendered all the service in his power for preventing it, in particular he understood by all hands that he had seized and taken from one James Phillips a lighted match, at the instant he was going down to the magazine, swearing that he should send them all to hell together. He had heard also that after Roberts was killed, the prisoner ordered the colors to be struck, and had since shown how opposite his practice and principles had been by discovering who were the greatest rogues among them. The prisoner, in his own defence, says, when he had the misfortune of falling into the pirate's hands, he was chief mate of the Samuel, of London, Captain Carey, and when he had hid himself to prevent the design of carrying him away, they found him, and beat and threw him overboard. Seven days afterwards, upon his objecting against and refusing to sign their articles, he was cut and abused again that though after this he ingratiated himself by a more humble carriage, it was only to make life easy. The shares they had given him, having been from time to time returned again to such prisoners as fell in his way, till of late, indeed, he had made a small reservation, and had desired Captain Lone to take two or three Madores from him to carry to his wife. He was once taken, he says, at making his escape in the West Indies, and with two more sentenced to be shot for it by a drunken jury. The latter actually suffered, and he was preserved only by one of the chief pirates taking a sudden liking to him, and bullying the others. A second time he ran away at Hispaniola, carrying a pocket-compass, for conducting him through the woods. But that being a most desolate and wild part of the island he fell upon, and he ignorant how to direct his course, was obliged, after two or three days' wandering, to return towards the ship again, denying with egregious oaths the design he was charged with, for fear they would shoot him. From this time he hopes it will be some extenuation of his fault, that most of the acquitted prisoners can witness, they entertain jealousies of him, and Roberts would not admit him into his secrets, and with all that Captain Carey, and four other prisoners with him, had made affidavit of his having been forced from his employ, which though he could not produce, yet he humbly hoped the court would think highly probable from the circumstances offered. On the whole, the court was of opinion. Artists had the best pretension to the plea of force, from the necessity pirates are sometimes under of engaging such, and that many parts of his own defence had been confirmed by the evidence, who had asserted he acted with reluctance, and had expressed a concern and trouble for the little hopes remained to him of extricating himself that he had used all prisoners, as they were called, well, at the hazard of ill-usage to himself, that he had not in any military capacity assisted their robberies, that he had twice endeavoured his escape with the utmost danger. 
acquitted him. Captain James Skirm. It appeared from the evidence of several prisoners acquitted that this Skirm commanded the ranger, in that defense she made against the king's ship, that he ordered the men to their quarters, and the guns to be loaded and fired, having a sword in his hand to enforce those commands, and beat such to their duty whom he espied any way negligent or backward, that although he had lost a leg in the action, his temper was so warm as to refuse going off the deck till he found all was lost. In his defense, he says, he was forced from a mate's employ on board a sloop called the Greyhound, of St. Christopher's, October 1720. The pirate having drubbed him, and broke his head, only for offering to go away when that sloop was dismissed, custom and success had since indeed blunted, and in some measure worn out the sense of shame, but that he had really for several months past been sick, and disqualified for any duty and though Roberts had forced him on this expedition much against his will, yet the evidence must be sensible. The title of captain gave him no preeminence, for he could not be obeyed, though he had often called to them to leave off their fire, when he perceived it to be the king's ship. The sickness, he alleged, but more especially the circumstance of losing his leg, were aggravations of his fault, showing him more alert on such occasions than he was now willing to be thought. As to the name of captain, if it were allowed to give him no precedence out of battle, yet here it was proved a title of authority, such an authority as could direct an engagement against the king's colors, and therefore he was in the highest degree guilty. End of chapter 9, part 10